Hello, hello, good day everyone. So welcome to episode 34. So tonight we will have a another young person to be on and that is Noor from Lepak Conversations. And Lepak Conversations, I believe they started a couple of years ago, an Instagram page with, uh, managed by two uh, two people. One uh, is Yuliana. Hi Yuli, and she was uh, my guest last week, and the other is my guest this week, and she is the one who will be talking about Lepak conversation. So last week was was by a person from Lepak, but uh, she's not. She wasn't talking about Lepak conversation. So today it will be about Lepak conversations, and we will be speaking on how it started, why, what's the relevance, and some other questions. Hopefully interesting. Uh, questions and by the way, I need to uh, do a correction. Uh, I said last week Yuli was my youngest guest. I uh, I think I am wrong on that because I did have Megan on and we did a couple of hours of uh, on the cabinet reshuffle. Uh, so Megan is my so to be technical, Megan is my youngest ever guest. But the, these two, uh, these two are pretty young as well, Yuli and Noor. Uh, and Steffi says, please tell everyone to subscribe. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> please subscribe. And uh, this is available on YouTube and on Spotify as well. Anyway, if you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to type them in. And we will get to as many as possible. It doesn't have to be questions. can be comments as well. And uh, so feel free to, to come on. Okay, I need to. Hi, you can say hi. Then, please go. Hi. Okay. Bye bye. Hello. Hello. How are you? Can you, oh, I, can you I hear thought, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was okay. the one using the boomer mic, but. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. So, how are you? How are you tonight? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. So Looking I. Looking forward I, to this. All right. Okay. So I wanted to say that uh, Noor is also a lawyer. She's training now. Uh, and not yet, yeah. Not a full-fledged lawyer yet, but she graduated already and she's completed everything that needs to be completed. So congratulations on that, by the way. So so the first question, let's start off live, right? So what is Lepak Conversation? What does it stand for? Why did you start it? Uh, and why the name as well? I mean, we can get to that later, but why, why mm. did you start it and what's the purpose the reason for existence of Lepak Conversation. Oh, the Mufti joined. Oh. Hi, Mufti. <laughs> <laughs> I hope okay. he stays. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, Lepak Conversations is an online platform, but we mainly operate on Instagram and we share about issues um, that relates to the Malay or Muslim community or that we think um, the Malay or Muslim community should be concerned by. And... Um, we started around election season in 2020 and um, Anna and I, we were both first-time voters. So we were very passionate about the issues and we wanted to get involved. Um, and I'll get to why we started with our first topic being the Tudong issue later. Um, but yeah. Ooh, um, it's going to get spicy tonight. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
Um, apart from the reason that you know it was election season, um, because we started around July 2020, um, I also had recently done a research paper for a uni module, and um, it was on the development of the Malay community in Singapore. And in the course of my research, I found a paper that was written by my professor, and in his paper, he kind of wrote about um how the Malay community developed from the colonial era and things like that. But he had some problematic um, conclusions in there and things that he said that weren't very nice. So in my paper, I wanted to address that. Such, and such I was as gonna... what? what? What were those problematic views? So um, some one of the things he said was something like, oh, because the uh, Malay community strongly believed in like communal values and like kampung spirit and things like that, they weren't as occupied with earning money or like they right, weren't right. as occupied with like um, wealth management and things like that. Yeah, and there was just an assumption he made um, uh, in which he based off um, his paper in like the later parts of his paper. So um, I sent that paper to Anna to kind of vet through to make sure that I wasn't being too harsh on my professor because he was going to be right. grading the paper anyway. Right, right, right. Um, and I still needed to pass the class. So then Anna read it and she realized that a lot of the things she was reading about, she did not know about um, things about the Malay community, things about how things um, were framed in Singapore, like the narratives surrounding the Malay community and why um, we were lacking behind uh, compared to other communities or why our development wasn't as fast-paced as the other communities. Um, so... Anna thought that it would be valuable to share these things, to address these things and reclaim that narrative, talk about it from our perspective um, instead of letting people who talk about it from, you know, from the outside looking in and then they make um, assumptions, you know, right. so yeah, it, it would be better for us to talk about it ourselves. Uh. So that was right. kind of so, the so what, reason what, what why was we the grade started. You got, what was the grade you got for that? I got an A. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. So your, your professor <laughs> is a professional then? Yeah, I mean, he, he I, I don't know if he to... marked it or if it was the TA. It could, it could be the <laughs> <Okay>. TA. I don't know. <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this this wasn't ask... a law professor. Yeah. Right. I, I won't ask you to name the professor. I don't know who it is as well. All I know is uh, mm. you are from SMU. so And that person is not from law. So <laughs> these are clues already. But if you want to name him, go ahead. I don't know. Okay. So it was quite... Uh, accidental for tweeters, I suppose. Uh, and you said you use the term reclaiming the narrative, right? So it's in regard to the cultural deficit hypothesis that you were alluding to that your professor had, or what? What is the narrative that has been lost that you need to reclaim? Um, yes, for sure. Um, there were influences from. Um, you know, me for the lazy native, and then from cultural deficit theory by Lili Zubaydah Rahim. So, um, I guess the main narratives would be the ones about the, it is super broad, but the development of the Malay community in Singapore, um, why we were lacking behind in terms of like education, for instance, or our home ownership rates, or things like um, high rates of crime, um, health outcomes, like, these have all been framed in a certain way without, I think, without proper context or without proper acknowledgement right. of other factors that are at play. So, I mean, we, we haven't 
gotten to tackle all of these issues yet on our page. Um, but that's definitely in the pipeline. Lah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Wow. Nice, nice. So, uh, I wanted to ask you, since you mentioned the, uh, the racialization of everything, uh, the economic outcomes and the health data, for instance, I wanted to, to get your thoughts on it, but uh, we'll get to that in a while. Uh, because you, you said a lot of things in there. But I just wanted to ask, why, why the term Lepak Conversations? Why, why, that, why that name? Yeah, so even the word Lepak, I mean, if you think about it in the most neutral terms, it just means to chill, right? But um, Lepak with the negative connotation that actually most people use it in that way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which is, you know, for people to laze around, to do yeah. like, good for nothing things you know you you yeah. often hear it as like oh look at the malays um, lepa, yeah, yeah, yeah. um and avoid that you know that's the yeah. context you usually hear it in right so um part of why we chose that name was also to again reclaim that narrative redefine the word and to yeah. us to lepa is to yes chill with your friends spend time with your friends but also to be able to have constructive um conversations about issues that matter to you lah, whatever that may be right right I, I, I thought it was really clever, by the way, the, the term uh, lepak conversations, right? Because I thought it was subverting the meaning, right? Uh, or the, mm. not the meaning, but subverting the, the general understanding of what that term is, right? Uh, mm. And, you know, when you think about lepak, you think about female boys, usually boys in a void deck, at, at a void deck, uh, playing guitar, smoking maybe. Right, but then here you have two young women, <laughs> young girls who are pretty intelligent and eloquent, and using the term. So I thought that was that was uh, that was pretty clever. Uh, and by the way, the term lepa does mean a few things, right? Actually, it means chilling out and spending time with your friends, right? Uh, yeah. So if if other races do it, it's uh, it's spending quality time, but if Malays do it, then it's lazing around, right? But also there are other terms, right? Lepa also means if something is very funny in colloquial Singaporean Malay, then people say, "Oh, is lepa say right?" Uh, or uh, or if you are really tired and then you crash, right? Then people say, "Oh, da lepa," right? So it means a lot yeah. of things, but the understanding is that oh, lepa one corner, right? Essentially, yeah. Okay, so so thank you for that. I thought. Uh, the term itself was also uh, really smart. Uh, so you you uh, hinted at this already, right? Uh, the idea of internalized racism. When you said the term lepa, right? Uh, do Malays themselves use use it in that pejorative manner? You think, or you think it's for the most part no. But then you also hear parents saying things like, um, "Balik sekolah," or like "Come back from school, you better don't lepa um, with those." friends, uh, you better come back and study or like you better don't hang out with those people. Lepa in the sense of don't hang out with those people um, for whatever reason. Uh. Um, so I think it's still kind of use but maybe not so much by young people. I think so young people a, do use it as like a hangout. Right. So is that a manifestation of internalized racism? Or what is internalized yes. racism to you? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, Internalized racism, okay, official definition is acceptance of <laughs> negative stereotypes about one's um, own racial oh. group. Um, yeah. But I think, so a lot of the work we do at Lepak Conversations is also not just about raising awareness to people um, in other communities about the Malay or Muslim community. It's also about 
um, doing the internal work because we realize that a lot of people from our own community have um, internalized or believed these negative um, stereotypes. And the clearest, um, I guess the clearest way of explaining this is perhaps to give an example. So if you talk about um, internalized racism in the context of education, so there's this um, stereotype that Malays are bad at math. So on an individual level, Malay students, I know a lot of Malay students, even me at some point, I would believe that, okay, Malay students are just bad at math, like no matter how hard I work, I work I'm just not going to understand this. And it becomes sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so you used to believe this, you think? You used to believe this? Yeah, I used to. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Then, <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Continue, continue. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like on an individual level and how internalized racism manifests on that level and how it becomes harmful. And then you have it on like um, perhaps the family level or like your social circle. Um, so again, in the context of education, you have Malay parents whose kids maybe do fairly well in school. Um, who would then tell their children, okay, don't mix with the Malay students, don't mix right. with the Chinese students, because, right. you know, Malay students are perceived to be less intelligent, um, not motivated to study, um, lazy, and again, these are all stereotypes, right? Yeah. So, you see that happening on that level. And then on yeah. the societal level, you have numbers, you have statistics talking about how our rates of, like, uni grads are still low compared to other communities, or, like, somehow the results, Malay students just don't perform as well. And on the societal level, the internalized racism happens more insidiously because people think that these are based on facts and figures, so they don't right. see it as like a stereotype. They're like, these are facts, these right. are not stereotypes that I came up with. But people don't realize that these like statistics are viewed in isolation or are presented um, just as numbers on its own. You don't take right. into account things like, okay, um, what are these students' socioeconomic background? What right, were their right. parents' level of education? Did they have access to certain resources? You know, and these right. are things that matter that affect your learning outcomes, affect how well you do in school, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely, and yeah. Be- because we look at these numbers and just think of them as facts, it's a lot easier to just internalize that and then just do the lazy, ironically, the lazy thing of yeah, you know, um, believing those things to be true. Lah. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, internalized racism at yeah. like different right, levels. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I think that was a very clear uh, explanation. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the pernicious thing about uh, stereotypes, it's, it's really confirmation bias, right? So if you have that belief mm. and you pass by and you believe that Malays, uh, Malay boys are the ones who are always lay parking, right? When you pass by a group of Malay boys at the void deck, then you'll think, ah, see, the Malays are like that. But when you pass mm-hmm. by a group of Chinese boys, you'll never think that because it doesn't uh, fit your preconceived notions, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I definitely agree on that. But if I were to push you a little, so would you be uh, in favor of abolishing race-based data? So university education by race or health outcomes by race, you are in favor of that? No, I think those should still be released because there is some value in looking at, you know, not not to parrot what the government has said, but there is some value in looking at um, where the issues are and like uh, which groups need more help. But what I think is needed is more context to look at the causes or like why the numbers are that way, why there's a certain trend and then presenting that together with the numbers rather right. than presenting it in isolation. Yeah. yeah. 
I I agree with you. I agree with you. I think uh, the I think there is utility to the uh, race-based data, especially in some. I know some people disagree with this, you know. But I think mm-hmm. if a particular race is as an an Indian person, I am more prone to heart disease, right? As Indians are, I would like to know that, right? I don't want anybody mm-hmm. to sugarcoat that, and and then we can find out why that is the case, right? Or what we can do. Uh, but I do also agree with you that. To really buttress that that data, right, and considering our multiracial society and considering the perceptions people have, right, I think you should have the socio-economic data alongside it as well, right? Which we do yeah. not, right? We mm, we we do yeah. not, right? So it's very easy to view everything through the lens of race, right? Which may or may not be accurate, right? But we'll only know if it's accurate if we have more data, more indicators, right? So in in order to isolate which are the actual variables uh, at play, mm-hmm. right? So so I definitely agree with you, right? So so your focus is mostly you are by and for the Malay community, you would say. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yes. Uh, so Malay Muslim community, right? So you use that yeah. uh, that terminology as well, right? So would you say that uh, lepak conversations is to Uh, so we'll we'll dial the temperature up a little, okay? So, so do you think lepak conversation is too uh, liberal for the Malay or Muslim community? So maybe you guys are not in step with the median mm. Malay or Muslim. Yeah, I mean, because the Muslim community in Singapore is not a monolith, right? Like they fall somewhere on the spectrum, and we fall somewhere on the spectrum depending on the issues or so. Right, yeah. so we might be more liberal on certain issues and more conservative on certain issues. So I can't really answer this question fairly. I think because we've had people from the conservative side who um, had issues with the things we were saying, but we also had people from the liberal side who were saying that oh, we aren't pushing the boundaries enough. You know, so. I don't think it's fair for me to overgeneralize and oh, answer wow. this question. Oh. That's a <laughs> it very, depends. That's a it very depends. Uh, politician answer. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, so maybe I can push you a little, right? So you said uh, it depends, right? Depends on what? What is the issue that you are more liberal on? What is the issue that you are more conservative on? Uh, so DeLorean Flight asks, what is the topic today? So it's a general conversation on... Uh, lepak conversations, what they stand for, uh, and what are the issues that are closest to their hearts? Yeah. So, uh, so back to the to the question, right? What what do you think? Okay, maybe you can give one issue where you think you are more liberal than the median Malay Muslim, and then one one issue where you perhaps you are more conservative than the liberals would like you to be. Okay. So. When we okay, so I think a good example would be to refer to the report that we put out. So we had like six issues in it. So when we spoke about um faraid, which is like Muslim inheritance law, um, and we spoke about female genital cutting and polygamy. So on those issues, we were more liberal. Okay. Um, and then on the issues of. Um, divorce, underage marriage. I think we took a bit more of a conservative stance, and then for our tudong issue, I think it was it it, it fit just nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think the tudong <laughs> issue probably is uh, is yeah, something yeah. the the both the conservatives and liberals can get can get behind, right? So, mm. uh, so 
So then where do you position yourselves on this? Oh, so it's really issue-based. So you, do, you, do you look at an issue and then think about, oh, where is the median voter or median Malay Muslim on this issue? And do I need to consider the community sentiments? Or do you just go with your own conscience thinking what is right and forget about uh, what was... Forget about what people are thinking. This is what we want it to be and this is how we are going to push it. Um, I think for us, as long as we do our due diligence, that we check with the relevant authorities or like the Who's, who's the relevant who, authorities? So people who we think are supposed to be a bit more knowledgeable on these issues than us. Um, then, and we know that whatever we are saying is not wrong, um, be it religiously or like the theory or whatever, then we will go ahead. Because if we start taking into account what the community sentiments are, then we would end up censoring ourselves. And um, yeah, you just can't push for change that way. Okay, yeah. okay. So, so you wouldn't say you are representatives of the... Malay Muslim no. community. So you don't try to represent the Malay Muslim community, right? So you are activist more than representative. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay, okay. Thanks, thanks. I think that does clear things up, right? So although you you managed to skillfully avoid answering that question directly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll let it pass. Okay, so, okay, so you mentioned uh, that if you are, if uh, you start thinking about other people, what people are thinking, then you'll never be able to say anything, right? So, um, I I feel that way as well. But let's let's take the conversation to a broader level, right? So, I feel that way as well. Uh, so, do you what what are your thoughts on cancel culture and you know woke culture, where it seems like people do want to make the boundaries, especially from your generation, right? And maybe there's a generational gap here as well. Uh, so, slight, slight generational gap. So, uh, where people, uh, they seem, it come, come from good intentions, but they try to push the boundaries of acceptable discourse narrower and narrower. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a fair characterization? I think the, what you said about like, wokeness and cancel culture is like one issue and then I view the issue of like narrowing the boundaries of acceptable discourse as a separate issue. So okay, so for wokeness and for cancel culture, I think first of all it's important to kind of acknowledge where these terms came from. Like they didn't come out of nowhere. Um, can, the word cancel and the word woke, they are appropriated from um, the black community um, and from that culture, from the civil rights um, boycotts in the 50s and 60s. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because um, even in Singapore, when people um, talk about cancel culture and wokeness, that has um, been lost in most of the conversations, which isn't fair. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that first. And then um, in terms of wokeness, um, I don't think there's a very clearly defined um, meaning for it right now. It's just used whenever someone feels they are being attacked for a certain um, 
stance that they are taking and they then call it like the woke mob that's attacking them. But, you, and then, but, but surely you can identify a person who is more woke than another, right? You don't think so? You, you really think the definition is so amorphous um, that if you put two I people mean, side by side, you cannot identify which one is more woke? In the way that you are using it, I'm guessing the term means progressive to you. Right? Like no, no, not, not necessarily, right? I would say it's a subset of progressives. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use uh, progressives and work uh, interchangeably, right? So, uh, but I think it's a subset of uh, certain progressives and it's also, uh, they may be cultural progressives, not necessarily economic progressives, for instance, right? So, so wokeness, I, I refer it to a specific subset of cultural progressives. Uh, would would that be fair, or you think it's still it's still a term that is just used to uh, to cancel other people, basically? <laughs> I think okay, I think woke isn't as um, as controversial as cancel culture because okay. I mean woke and cancel is usually used together right it's like right, right, oh the right, woke yeah. mob is cancelling someone right so <laughs> I think cancel is the more okay, yeah, yeah. So problematic let's, let's get to that. term yeah, yeah, right yeah, okay okay let's get to that yeah right. so um, I think cancel culture people on the left progressive whatever you want to call it would say that it doesn't exist and that the term is just made up by people who are worried or do not want to be held accountable and um, people in this group in this group would just say that it's about accountability and so cancel culture doesn't exist that term is just used to avoid accountability and then people on the right would say that oh cancel culture for sure exists because um there have been people who you know have lost their jobs or whatever because of yeah. cancel culture right and they would also, and now a lot of them also have a problem with the word accountability, like what is accountability, what's the extent of that, right? Um, and for me personally, I think it's all about power dynamics. If it's an individual person with no real power or anything like that, then it's too um, extreme to want to go after the person and like hold the person accountable by making the person lose their job or get deplatformed. Um, but if it's someone with really a lot of power and influence and that person is spreading a lot of harmful ideas, then I for sure agree that that person is to be deplatformed and that that is deep, what accountability would look deep, like. Deplatform mean, meaning what? Taken off social media? So whatever... Whatever platform that person is using to spread these harmful ideas, then get a person off that platform. Who, who, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? Um, the community that was harmed by that person's ideas. It's difficult uh, to discuss it so generally, but I for okay. sure have an example. No, so, so sure, maybe you can give an example, then maybe we can concretize it. Yeah. No, if oh. I mention if I mention uh, <laughs> the example or the person I have in mind, then it's like cannot. But oh, then what we will we'll uh, be cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, okay, okay, like um Joe Rogan for instance, right? That's the yes, most let's go recent there, let's go there. Yeah, yeah, example. Yeah. yeah. Go there, yeah. So 
um, people were saying that you know he should be deplatformed, especially because he was spreading oh, Mariam, things about. Mariam Jaffar has joined us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Hi. Yeah, be- hi, Mariam. Yeah, yeah, carry on, yeah, carry on. Um, yeah, so because Joe Rogan was um, helping to spread like misinformation about vaccines and, you know, we were, we are living in a pandemic and it has like real mm. harmful effects. Like people could literally die. Like, that's the worst thing you can imagine, right? Sure. Um, and so people were saying that it's super harmful. He's on a platform where he can easily get the platform and it's just a matter of um, the the management of that company deciding whether to do it or not right um and then there were people um on the other side who were saying that you know it's all about um discerning for yourself like right. what's the right what, what, content. what do you think what do you think i think you should get the platform <laughs> oh really okay so yeah so joe rogan he invites different people right he inv- invited the cnn uh, chief medical correspondent dr sanjay gupta Right, mm-hmm. so he he invited them. So if you want to use this standard, right, because uh, I mean Joe Rogan, I is somewhat an easy target, right, because he does so so many episodes. He has so many different people on, you know. Uh, so but we have that here also. We also have that here where like influencers who also have like a very sure, um, sure. Exa- I know I know who you are referring right? to. Yeah, I know I know who you are referring to. But my my point is right. So. So CNN has spread in, in misinformation before, right? New York Times has spread. I mean, New York Times, John Stewart said that uh, when he was against the Iraq war, New York Times was the one that was, against, was for the Iraq war. Uh, and by your standards, John Stewart would have been cancelled at that point in time. But history has proven that he was on, actually on the right side of history, right? So uh, doesn't it worry you, the fact that we are using power to de-platform people just because... We disagree with them. We are judging, and even if they are wrong uh, on something, right? Uh, is the answer deplatforming? And aren't you, as a content creator, as somebody who who deals with controversial stuff, you don't you don't think that if you start using that standard, that it will come to bite you? No. Be- okay, I'm. I, I guess, like full disclosure, I'm very idealistic, so <laughs> that probably uh, influences a lot of my stances and like my moral standards um but i think that it's it's the the decision to de-platform and um the effects afterwards um are two different things because we've seen people like really try to de-platform someone to completely discredit them but because these people are in such high positions of power right it doesn't work they right. eventually just move to a different platform. Understand, Whoever yeah. supports them will move with them. Sure. I understand so, that will, that will happen to Joe Rogan as well. So I'm not worried about Joe Rogan. Right? Joe Rogan can take care of himself, right? I'm worried mm-hmm. about people who, who do not have ideas uh, that conform to the mainstream but do not have the power and influence of Joe Rogan. These are the easy targets. Joe Rogan is just out there. I mean, he will move to a different platform. Using this standard, it can easily be used against us, right? You don't think so? Yes. Um, but that's why I said that in, in at the beginning, right? I said it's power dynamics, right? It really depends on how much power the person has. Um, 
how much influence the person has and whether or not it can be used as a learning opportunity. I think if a person is truly apologetic, right? Um, I mean, of course, there will be people who say that, oh, this person's only apologizing because he or she has to. Um, but I think oh, if God. the person is willing to apologize and try to learn from it, then that person deserves another chance. But you do have people who just double down and are not apologetic, who just want to continue doing whatever it is they're doing because they know that their controversy will just get them more supporters, viewers, whatever it is that they want, more attention. And in those cases, I think it's quite clear that they should be the platform. Yeah. Okay. I mean, for sure, there's some gray areas, but I think for that first category, it's, yeah, it's an easy answer for me. It, it doesn't seem like it's an easy answer from your answer. So, uh, who decides? You said the community <laughs> that is harmed. So, if I decide, um, uh, if I decide, and what, what is that category that you're talking about? Is it based on gender, based on race, or what, what is it? Is in the community that was harmed? Because you said or... earlier, who, who gets to decide whether somebody should be deplatformed, and then you said uh, the community that was harmed mm. by something. Uh, basically, uh, when uh, you are saying that there is somebody who is uh, the, the community that is harmed uh, and you they get to decide right uh, so what is that based on what is that community that is being harmed based on right and who yeah. within that community when just now you said that Malay Muslim community is not a monolith but now it seems like this answer that is a monolith of any community that gets to decide, right? So if, let's say, a black person decides to go on Joe Rogan, because subsequent to that, uh, he had a, a controversy about the N-word, right? And then there are some black people who feel that he shouldn't be cancelled. Should, should their views be heard? Or should the blacks who feel that he should be cancelled, should they be heard? Who becomes the arbiter in that? So it doesn't seem like it's an easy answer to me. Um, yes, <laughs> there's for sure some grey area there. Yeah, I mean, I think people who are upset, <clears throat> they all feel like, you know, that they've been harmed by this in, in whatever way, their views should definitely be heard, be taken into account. And... Um, I want to say you have to look at the size of it as well. And, and I don't just mean like, okay, if they are a minority, their views shouldn't be taken into account. But if it's a sizable group of people who have voiced that, you know, they've been harmed by this, that something needs to be done, that he needs to be held accountable, then I do think that the offender, that the person would have to take some steps to, you know, be responsible for it. Um, and for those who did not feel offended or harmed by it, then they can continue supporting but, Joe Rogan or whoever. But you're not calling for is. that. You are not calling for that. You're calling for deplatforming. They cannot continue supporting it. It's not as if you are saying that let him be, whoever doesn't want to listen, don't listen. You are saying that he should be, the platform should be yeah, taken away so, from him. As in, there should be steps to hold him accountable if there is a group of people who are upset but it's not a large enough group for whatever reason for the platform to feel that you know uh, it warrants the person getting deplatformed but 
there should still be steps in place to show that there's some um, steps being taken to ensure that this doesn't happen again or to acknowledge the feelings of the the group of people from that community who have who have been hurt. Yeah, so you yeah. said there's a grey area. I feel like everything is, is grey about this. Like, what is the number? What's the number that of people who are offended? Then that person should be deplatformed. Who gets to make that decision? And do we really want to put that power in the hands of big tech companies? Mm. Do we really want that? Isn't that even more worrying than putting such a decision? And what do you think? Governments will just sit back. They'll be happy to say, yes, we should jump on this bandwagon. And then let's cancel the people who... And they'll use... They'll hide behind some veneer of morality. or I guess my worry is don't choose. So basically, you do not believe in free speech? Or... No, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I do. Well, it's, it um, seems like if you are calling for deep platforming, I'm not sure. How does that square with belief in free speech then? Um, I think... Sh- I do. I know we differ on this, but I do think there should be limits to free speech. Um, in terms of things that are really, really harmful, um, you know, like violence or things that incite hate. Vi- violence, um, I agree, right? So violence is pretty clear. What what calls for violence, right? But then, once you move in, right? Once you move mm. in, because just now you use the word feelings, I think probably twice, right? Uh, so once you move into the arena of feelings, right, people can be offended or people's feelings can be hurt at anything, right? So do you think that's a viable standard to have? Like if you hurt X number of people's feelings, right? Uh, I think some, I'm sure you have hurt some people's feelings also, right? With the, uh, with the FGC uh, post, mm. right? And what if yeah. that's the majority of Malays? Then should you guys be cancelled as well, right? So I guess what... And they say, oh, we are hurt because you are uh, invalidating a traditional belief held by Malay Muslims for hundreds of years. Then would that be a valid argument to deplatform you and get you off Instagram then? Okay, maybe... <laughs> maybe... In, maybe in the instances where it's a bit more grey, then perhaps deplatforming is a bit extreme. <laughs> but um, I still think that because cancel culture, to cancel someone, um, it's to voice um, how you no longer wish to support someone who is espousing something that is harmful. But whether or not that has an effect is a different thing. But you, um, the power lies in that collective um, voicing out of no longer supporting that person. And if you m- manage to get the organization responsible or big tech companies or whatever to um, take some action to hold that person accountable, I think that's... I. Ideally, that should be the minimum. Mm. Um, but if you, out of that collective voice, you know, um, if you manage to get the person deplatformed, if that is what that community feels is justified, then I think that's also fair. So, 
it's I, I think it's it really depends on whether you get it or not but the the gist of cancel culture the way I see it is still that collective power of the people like voicing out when they choose to no longer support something rather right. than that the effect of it you know whether the person gets deplatformed or yeah I, I, I understand I understand yeah yeah so so thank you for that clarification I just wanted to uh, add and and then we'll move on that there is power dynamics in this as well right and it may not be power dynamics in the same in the political or uh, authority uh, power in terms of authority or political power but there's cultural power as well right and now mm-hmm. cultural power is on the left the left is on the ascendancy i believe that the left has pretty much not won but they are on the ascendancy in the culture wars right uh, but that doesn't mean that it will be like that forever right uh, and mm. if the shoe I mean, if it was on the other foot and we, I mean, people on the left are now on the receiving end, right? Then I fear that this standard cannot hold up. Like, I, I fear that we are setting ourselves up for failure if, if we, we, we hold this standard. Final word on this and then we'll move on. Uh, final word from you. Anything you want to add? Um, yeah. I guess I can kind of agree with you on that because I do, and it's like my personal take, but I think that um, people on the left do generally have like higher moral standards than people on the right. So oh, wow. we do hold. What a generalization! We, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I just think that we do hold ourselves to a higher moral standard, and then we are quick to cancel, cancel people from our own side as well. Whereas people on the right don't do that as often. So then, yeah, it's kind of like a double-edged for us. Right, right. So, yeah. so I, I, I would agree with you there's the narcissism of small differences on the left, right? Uh, so there's that. Uh, I, I would hesitate to say that people on the left are more moral than people on the right. I think... Um, I, no, not more moral. We, we hold ourselves to a higher moral standard. Yeah. <laughs> that's different that's, from more moral. <laughs> that seems like... A, that's euphemistic... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I would I would say that I wouldn't I wouldn't dare go there as well. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't dare go there as well. I mean, there's a lot of hypocrisy on the left, a lot of hypocrisy yeah. on the left that we've witnessed. Like, look look at what's happening now. I mean, there's a lot of people on the left who are uh, talking mm-hmm. about the Ukrainian issue, which I completely agree we should, but yeah. they they are the ones. These are su- supposed liberals, right, who are saying. Well, this is a European country. We never expected that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's hypoc- That's outright hypocrisy, right? So, yeah. Uh, I don't know whether that's uh, that's a higher moral standard. But in any case, okay. So, so thank you for that. I thought that was a, a really good discussion. Uh, so let's let's move on. Uh, intersectionality, right? So that's uh, that's something that uh, you guys are often talking about, or you guys have brought up before. So, uh, can you explain to? People who are older, right? Uh, what that means and <laughs> why does it matter, right? Yeah. Mm. Okay, so um, intersectionality originated from Kimberly Crenshaw. She's a um, professor, I believe, um, from the US. Um, I think she did law. So um, just to make sure I don't misquote her because intersectionality, I think, has been misused, misquoted quite a lot. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, like just to, to read from what she says, so intersectionality, I'll just read this first before I kind of explain it. 
Um, yeah. So it's basically just a lens for seeing the way in which various forms of inequality often operate together and exacerbate each other. Uh, we tend to talk about race, gender, class uh, as separate um, parts of our identity, but what's often missing is how some people are subject to all of these and the experience is not just the sum of its parts. So that's what Kimberly Crenshaw has um, clarified. Um, so to put it simply, um, intersectionality is just a way of viewing um, certain issues and to view them as things that overlap and that when they overlap, um, it's not just like one issue plus one issue equals to this. Um, right. It can be worse because of the way the two issues interact with one another. Yeah. Right. Okay, so can you give an, uh, an example in Singapore, for instance? Yeah, so I guess on our page, we talked about intersectionality when we talked about feminism. So a lot of people can talk about feminism, like women's rights and, you know, women deserve more um, equal rights and things like that. Um, but oftentimes people don't talk about um, the racial aspects to it, the socioeconomic background of a certain uh, woman and how they are more disadvantaged or they face uh, worse forms of discrimination because of that, um, those other parts of their identity. Yeah, so, um, you know, if you look at the gender wage gap here, um, I'm not sure if there's been any like studies to look at it in terms of like has, race so the, and the oh no 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 on race no 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 yeah there isn't yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah, there yeah, is yeah. statistics on like the gender wage gap right but yeah, not yeah, yeah. on um you know how right. much less are malay women earning right. how much less are indian women earning you know and right, these right. are important numbers that like, we should be looking at these numbers or you know even if we want to look at like um issues to help um mothers you know you have to look at like okay what about single mothers what about uh, mothers who are also taking care of like elderly parents? Like um, one criticism of intersectionality has been that it's too narrow or it zooms in too much. But I do think that there's a lot of value when looking at solutions or policies to look at these various identities so that you don't end up forgetting about certain communities or certain groups of people. Yeah, right. so that's that's the relevance of it. Right, thank you. I I, I thought that was a clear explanation, right? So, uh, if I were to ask you, right, so uh, a lot of times, some of this may intersect, right? Some of these more vulnerable identities, right? But some of them do not, right? Or some of them uh, compensate for the other, right? So, the Malay experience, right, is not a monolith, as you said. Maybe the uh, the upper class Malay, right, or those in the higher socioeconomic status, right, may have far more in common with the the Chinese from the up, uh, higher socioeconomic status than a Malay from the lower socioeconomic status, right? So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, would intersectionality be? Uh, how how would it work in those those cases? Because it um, seems like we are assuming that, oh, there are all these marginalized identities, mm, right? But within mm, this, which, which I completely agree with you, with, mm, with the earlier, earlier part you said, but, but within this, mm, there's a bit more nuance, right? Then, um, yeah. yeah, so, so maybe the white I, woman experience may be closer to the white man's experience in some cases than the black, uh, black mm, man, right? Uh, or black woman, yeah. 
Yeah. I think there's been a study in Singapore. Um, I can't remember the title or the authors right now because I took it in like one sociology module. But um, so there's been this study that looked at, um, you know, if education level um, is equal. So they're all unigrads. Um, you look at four different groups, um, Chinese females, uh, Chinese males, Malay males and Malay females. Um, and you look at their social capital returns. So you would expect that the Malay woman would have the lowest social capital returns because women are more disadvantaged in general and Malays, you would expect to be more disadvantaged than the Chinese for whatever reason, right? For various um, factors. Um, but the study actually showed that Malay men had the lowest social capital return, um, which was surprising. But I think the study found that it was because of certain stereotypes associated with Malay yeah. men that were yeah. more harmful than stereotypes associated with Malay women. So yeah. that's that's a way in which you see a bit more nuance uh, that, that right. you know, um, doesn't mean, you know, women are generally more disadvantaged that they would be at the lowest rung of the ladder all the time. You know, so right. that's, I guess, one way in which you can see the value of like studying these intersectionalities. Yeah, and taking on right. that lens. Right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, no, that that was useful. Thank you so much. I mean, even in the in the states, right? Uh, black men would be punished more yeah. for the same crime than than, of course, white men, but also black women, mm. for instance, right? So, uh, mm. so it is it is a bit more nuanced than that. So, I guess even within, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna give credence to the anti-Chinese privilege uh, argument, but where they are right, where they are right, uh, is the uh, is the idea that not not every person within that identity group is privileged equally, right? But nobody yeah. makes that argument. They are refuting a straw man, right? So nobody <laughs> makes that argument. Yeah, but thank you for thank you for uh, explicating the nuances, right? So so just one final question. We've already gone fifty minutes already, right? So I, I do have time for ten more minutes. So yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, cultural appropriation, right? So it seems mm. like a big a big thing and I think you you wanted to talk about it as well, right? So what is it, right? And where where do we draw the line with regard to uh cultural appropriation? Where where does uh the line stop at uh when it comes to celebrating somebody else's culture and then appropriating someone else's culture? Mm -hmm. So um we on the Lepa conversation speech we did like uh, an entire series on this. Um, I saw, yeah. So, yeah, so again, start with the definition. So, cultural appropriation is defined as the adoption of co-opting, uh, usually without acknowledgement of cultural identity markers associated with or originating in minority communities by people or communities with a relatively privileged status. So, if I kind of shorten that, it's like, you copy-paste something, but you never give any acknowledgement or so credit. So basically. Yeah, like you, you don't even understand what you're copying. Yeah, so that's essentially what cultural appropriation so is. So if, if I copy and I acknowledge, would that be, that wouldn't be appropriation? Um, I think there must be a purpose to it. Like, I mean, you can't just copy and then acknowledge and be like, oh, I know this is from this community. That's not meaningful acknowledgement right um yeah it depends on how you acknowledge it so if i want to wear uh so uh a person 
coming to my wedding, for instance, uh, a Chinese uh, person and uh, he or she wears the kurta, right? Uh, so would that be cultural appropriation? So they didn't ask um, me for permission or they didn't tell me they were going to do it. And when, when they took a picture with me on, on uh, they didn't say on stage or uh, didn't say that, oh, uh, this, I'm, I'm acknowledging that this uh, costume is traditional Indian. So would that be cultural appropriation? Um, I think based on that context, no. So um, in those contexts, usually the friend does it out of um, respect or just out of truly appreciating because right. in Indian weddings, in Malay weddings, we do don our traditional yeah. outfits. So I think in that context, it's okay. Even if, for instance, you go to a funeral, there are certain like customs that you must follow. Yeah. Um, if you go for, if you go into a place of worship and you want to show respect, you use the tudong, for instance, that is also okay without having to ask because your intention is clearly to show respect, to um, respect that part of somebody's culture, religion or race. Um, and yeah, so there's a question here about what is meaningful yes, acknowledgement, right? Asked, what is meaningful yeah. acknowledgement, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, I'll have to like briefly explain it here, but on our page, we have like a legit like list of like prompts to ask yourself about why you are doing this, if it's really so necessary for you. So please follow the conversations if you have. <laughs> no, I, I genuinely mean that it's a good page to follow. So yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah, Yeah. so like on, on that list, we actually ask people to ask themselves out, like why are you doing this? Um, are you really doing it out of respect? What part of the culture are you appreciating? Because if it's not necessary... Um, and you don't know how to um, acknowledge where this came from or at least acknowledge the significance of it, I think the lowest bar would be to acknowledge the significance of whatever it is that you're borrowing from somebody else's culture. What, you if, can't they even do... wear, what if they want to wear it just to look nice? That's appropriation. Oh, really? You think so? Yes. So after they acknowledge, oh, this is, a, uh, this is an Indian dress, I'm wearing it because I want to look nice. That's not meaningful enough for you. No, because especially because in most societies, the minority community is still um, very much discriminated against or oppressed or their cultural identity or cultural markers are still not fully accepted. And then when people choose to don certain costumes or borrow certain parts of that culture to look nice, then it's really cherry picking. You know, so there are, like, for instance, I think in Singapore, it's very hard to grasp this idea because we've always grown up with, like, Racial Harmony Day where you just wear yeah. other people's traditional yeah. costumes, right? Um, and to you, that's okay. But I've had, um, like, incidents where people from other communities would... Um, borrow their Indian friends sari or their Indian friends kurta or the baju kurong and then um, on other days they would make fun of like the friends oily hair or the yeah. friends um, bindi but, but know, it's so... the letter that is wrong right why 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 does the letter have got to do why does it have to got to do with the first one because if you don't it, it's like the <laughs> saying like if you if you don't accept me on my bad days, you don't get me on my good days. It's like you don't get to cherry pick um, parts, beautiful, 
parts of my culture that you think are beautiful to you. But but by definition, if you are not from that culture, you will be cherry picking on some days because you're not from that culture. So you cannot embrace the culture in entirety, right? So at yes, any but... point in time, you will always be cherry picking if you decide to cherry pick at all. When I say cherry pick, I mean cherry pick what to accept and what to respect. So if you're going to choose to accept and respect um, and like certain parts of my culture, like my traditional uh, outfits, then you also have to be able to understand and accept other parts of my culture, um, you know, rather than just use whatever is advantageous to you. Yeah. So I think that's the... Again, this is not something that's very clear. It depends on mm. the individual um, person who's dealing with this person who's trying to borrow. Um, but I think to me, looking at the examples that I've seen, um, the line between appreciation and appropriation really lies in you being able to fully understand um, and respect that part of the culture. Yeah, so yeah. if you can't even understand that part of the culture and you're just taking it for your advantage to make yourself look pretty or to make yourself look good, then you're not where where's the appreciation. But yeah. the fact that they think it makes them look good, there's some form of appreciation there, right? No, you just appreciate that you look good in whatever it is that you're wearing. Yeah, but why why is that not... why why do you why do you do you feel you look good in that? That's because you appreciate it, right? Um, some form of appreciation you wouldn't you wouldn't wear something you don't appreciate right or you don't if you don't you feel like you don't look i would be more worried if they they thought oh i would never look good in a kurta for instance right <laughs> wouldn't that be more wouldn't that be more worrying to you or as in if you by the way ev the thing, ev right? you everyone looks good in a kurta i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like there's there's a difference between appreciating the physical aspect of it, like how it looks, and appreciating like the significance of it and the significance of that part of the culture to the community or to the person that you're borrowing it from. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So so there are a few comments here. So Muzin, uh, I don't know what's her real name. Uh, if the if they genuinely want to appreciate the cost, okay. So, oh, if the genuine want to appreciate the costume is restricted, is that considered gatekeeping? Sorry, right? so if what? If that person uh, wants to appreciate the costume, but mm -hmm. other people are restricting it, uh, is that considered gatekeeping? And would that hinder the spread of cultural appreciation, for instance? Anchi uh, says, uh, I think intention matters to make a caricature of the culture or to respect the situation but how are we able to check if one's intentions are genuine uh angie says you can get the henna tattoo if you pay the artist for instance example right so they're not gonna if you go to a pasar malam and they're not gonna stop you from doing it if it's not your cultural proceed uh, uh, appropriation or appreciation so basically angie continues so basically we have to erect barriers to cultural appreciation and gatekeep how people partake in our culture. Uh, and first, Wambo asks, uh, so it boils down to the intention. That would be hard to judge, right? And it seems like it's on such a case-by-case -case basis that we can never make any definitive judgment on anything. 
on cultural appropriation if it's if it's really based on intention and personal uh, personal motives um i think yes first of all yes intention matters and secondly it is difficult to judge and assess a person's uh, intentions um but and i think on those like very personal cases where you know you're dealing with like a friend for like a personal occasion and things like that that's probably really up to the person but if it's like a big thing something that's being done on like a big scale so what comes to mind is probably the i i can't remember right now that the name of the company but some like um cashback advertisement or something where they had a group of dancers don the traditional like indian outf- um outfits and then there was like bollywood influenced music um and it was nowhere near dipavali and it was yeah like there was no reason for them to um do it that way and um i think kuma was involved in the ad but in that clip that was being um, spread around um he wasn't in it and then the dancers were also non indians so oh okay yeah that oh. i think was a clear and even that was a lot of people were talking about it and people were saying that okay that's not really cultural appropriation like some people were saying that it, it's not um they were just appreciating the music and the outfits and the culture but to me that was a clear um instance of cultural appropriation because there was no purpose to it um you they were perhaps profiting off um people who like the music people who uh, like the aesthetics of it but there was no explanation for it and it was just used um with no context so yeah. so in that in that particular ad which i assume is what a one minute ad or something what what so. what would uh, what would have needed to happen for you to not consider that cultural appropriation um first of all it wasn't like during uh, any time near any of the festivities so, that so we can only uh, don those clothes near the i mean you the... can not no <laughs> um but if you are doing it in a certain way like if you if there's like a very obvious cultural aspect to it then i think there should be a purpose to it like a clear purpose to it and explanation for it um because if not so so yeah, i'm thinking like, about how, how to concretize it right so from that example so so if it was done what mostly by chinese dancers that one mm, or yeah yeah i think so, so so if there was if it was half 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 chinese half indian would you consider that cultural appropriation um i don't have a clear answer right 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 so but, uh, uh, and if there's an explanation at the side like this dance was choreographed by by an indian dancer or an indian artist as in i i'm trying to get at mm, where 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 uh, is the line right because i really don't know as in yeah, I, I, yeah. i'm really learning about mm. this so um uh, uh and and again do, disclaimer i'm not the like authority no 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 this, of course but, of yeah, course yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it's fine yeah 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 so we yeah. are working our way through it as mm-hmm. well yeah so uh so uh i i definitely understand the intent because mm-hmm. uh i've seen i've seen cases before okay i'll i'll give you a, an example of 
I don't know whether it's cult- whether I'll use cultural appropriation, right? But but you know where uh, when you know Deepavali and I really hate this. I really cannot stand this. And then and then there'll be non-Indians just putting their hands together and then shaking their heads, right? Now that for me, that for me is not even cultural appropriation, right? That for me is just outright racist because you're mocking, you are mm. mocking people, right? So uh, so there's there's that, uh, but. Um, other than that, if people come with genuine intentions and they they want to dress, uh, they appreciate our dressing or what, are we, is it wise for us to turn them them away? For instance, uh, so so uh, China Wombok said involve a member of that culture to ensure its portrayal is respectful and accurate. So I don't know about sensitivity cult- consultants, but I definitely agree with that, uh, which is why I asked. So. Let's say if that, that dance was choreographed by an Indian, for instance, and it was all Chinese uh, dancers or Malay dancers, would that make a difference? Uh, or what if half of the dancers were Indians? Would, would that make a difference? Uh, I so think, I'm again, to, it's yeah. the purpose and the intention. So I think the, the best or like the ideal situation, right? If we take your example, so there's an Indian person who choreographed this and the yeah. uh, intention, um, and it's clearly stated that, okay, so this um, like famous Indian choreographer um, did this, and then we got um, people from other races involved to learn the dance, to kind of learn about the culture, to better understand the dance, and to pay homage to this culture or this particular group. Um, and so, but that's not the purpose of ads, right? Ads are to make money, right? So... Exactly. So if you are going to make money (laughs) out of this using someone else's culture and you're not going to let people from that culture get, um, you know, be part of it, be rewarded to it, you are diverting that payment. Which is why why I asked, so if let's say the choreographer was, was Indian, then that would be okay then? Um, but then, why not get Indian people to do the dance? Like, why get people from other communities? So it would need to be Indians doing it as well, right? Because I, yeah, I, and, and I'm pretty sure a... I don't know what ad you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure it's to show some some multiculturalism. I mean, knowing how Singapore is, right? Like, <laughs> everybody <laughs> wants to show how multiracial they are, and mm. they're always, you know. So I guess. What's what's the difference, right? Between I see this all the time on my on my feed, people giving something to their neighbors and and then they are taking a picture and putting it uh, online. During Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. for instance, a Malay neighbor gives uh, gives gifts to the neighbors and then they put it online. I don't see a difference. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what they are doing. They're trying to pretend to to show the world, not pretend to show mm-hmm. the world that they are multicultural and multiracial. What what's the difference then? That person is also. Uh, I wouldn't call it cultural appropriation, but you're clearly taking advantage of that situation to to project yourself uh, and position yourself as this multicultural champion to get more likes and to get shares, right? What's the difference between that and the ad then that we are doing? Uh, I mean, that, in, that in your example, if it's really like a like festive season to celebrate that um, occasion, I think... Like, like people were saying, like you can't really determine their intentions, but that picture alone, there's nothing disrespectful or wrong. Like, yes, maybe you can question their intentions, like, you know, or maybe they're just trying to show off. But for the ad, there's just um, no purpose to it. Yeah, like there's no, there's no 
purpose or like there's no way I can construe it as like you are appreciating the culture or their costume because it just came out of nowhere and no context and the the thing that were, they were promoting I think they were really just promoting the app it was like a cashback um, mm. app so, uh, so, so Steffi yeah. just made just sent me the ad so is this shop back uh, ah yes yeah yeah shop back is the uh, is the company so I included a, so it's a 15 second cut of uh, a solo on TikTok uh so it's a fake bollywood song or whatever it is so i mean i i need to i need to take a look but uh i guess if they say oh i mean chinese i mean we also celebrate this all the time right when we see a a malay doing lion dance for instance and then we celebrate that as a oh this is multicultural singapore right mm-hmm. do we not or right yes, so yes, if yeah. a chinese Chinese does an Indian dance. I mean, it, they don't need to explain for us to know that they are projected. Of course, ultimately, they are corporations. I mean, I never put faith in corporations to, you know, promote values of a diversity or whatever it is. But that's all they can do because ultimately, the, the purpose is to make money, right? So, if their, their ostensible purpose is to show this, this veneer of multiculturalism, is that not enough for you? Or there must be a disclaimer there explaining the context behind that dance or um I think to me for that particular example of the ad, what was particularly um problematic was that there was yes, first of all there was no context to it, there was no um, reason for it, there was apparent, and then the second part of it was you know, these are dancers who were getting exposure, who were getting paid. Um, and there are people from the Indian community itself who can do the dance, who are talented enough, who deserve that exposure, who deserve to get paid. And yet, they are not in the ad. So why not? This is part of their culture, you know. So, yeah, that was also another part that I found quite problematic. Right. Yeah. So, uh, do you do you worry that if we set this standard, right, then nobody will, uh, will want that's, to? That's the <laughs> that's yeah. the argument from the other side, right? Like that, there's no way then for us to appreciate yeah. and celebrate yeah, each yeah, other's yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, I don't think so because I think cultural appropriation there's also like power dynamics and also like at what scale it's happening at, right? If it's just like like your neighbor kind of thing, if it's just your mm. friend, I think it's okay. But if it's happening on a much larger scale um, and it's taking away opportunities uh, or is mocking the culture in some way or replacing people from that culture in some way, then that's where it gets problematic. Um, and I don't think if we start to talk about those issues, it will stop people from just appreciating cultures in general. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would Would you say there's a possibility of people being more circumspect when they want to do uh, something? Then, uh, I mean, yes, but I but think you, but that it that may be a good, good thing, right? It may yeah, be I good, think that's a good it thing. May be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, thank you so much, Noor. I've taken up too much of your time, and I really, I really learn a lot, especially during the cultural uh, appropriation segment, because I, I am not sure whether I, 
I have fully understood it prior to this. I need I need to work through these ideas. So, is there anything else you want to say or you want to plug? Uh, what what is Elsie's plan? Uh, what so, are Elsie's plans for the for the coming year? Um, this I I can't say for the coming year, but for this month we'll be tackling the halal food issue. Um, in response Ooh. to halal food yeah. in NTU or no in, in NTU in schools. <laughs> oh, really? In schools oh, in wow. general. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be focusing about um on schools in yeah schools in general and like yeah halal food availability. What is wow. halal food and yeah halal certification? Yeah, there was, and, there yeah. was, is it because of the mothership article on that and that's yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's yeah. in response to that yeah because we were on okay. a break um uh, last month yeah so we will okay. be talking about it this month. Right. Okay. All the best, and thank you so much for the work that you do. I I still cannot believe the two of you are really really young. Uh, so such maturity at your age. Uh, and I really appreciate the work that Elsie does. Thank you thank so much. Thank you. Thank you no, for thank having you. me. All right. No problem. Good night, everyone. Okay. Bye bye.